0: Season 3, Episode 64 of the Pitch and Pine Podcast, recorded Tuesday, October 20th, 2020. Welcome to Bizarre World. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the Pitch and Podcast. My name is Steven and you can find me at 6goal on Twitter. If you happen to read my latest Think Different article for Game Week 5, then you might have seen I compared the start of this season to that of a bizarre world which in popular culture has come to represent a situation or setting which is weirdly inverted or opposite to expectations. But what the blasted hell is going on in FPL? Let's compare it to the Matrix as everything is not as it seems. Liverpool defense struggling, conceding 13 goals through five. But Villa, fucking Villa, conceded just two through four games. Everton, top of the league. Villa, fucking second. And Fulham, well, Fulham still cannot score. And we can already consider them relegated for this season. Now, why there is no wrong time to wildcard, just 8.1% of managers across the field hit that wildcard button, which is just a percentage point lower than those who activated it when I did in game week 3. Now, remember, Twitter is just a very small sliver of the overall community, and I don't believe they set or move any trends when it comes to the game. Sure, that's going to be an unpopular opinion, regardless of the number of followers you have or the sort of influencer you believe you are with your opinion. The one factor FPL managers cannot account for injuries, and we have seen a rash of them to start the season. From Aguero and Jesus returning from injury to KDB coming out during the break, these are just a few whose inclusions has caused some struggles we've seen so far this season. How do you replace KDB's creativity on the pitch? Or the least lift of Aguero's finishing? You don't. Defensively, every team but Austin Villa have been struggling. This is a Villa defense that conceded 67 goals, second worst in the league last year to Norwich City in their 75. Not sure what direction I'll take today, but there are many things I want to get to out of this first break as we look forward to the next four-week group of games before the second international break. No Pitch and Pint Podcast is complete without beer, and we will start the show with a new local beer from Imperial Beer Project out of Brentwood, California. Now, one decision that is rarely difficult to make what beer to drink. Now craft beer has been excellent this year even with many struggling in life. It's been great to see regulations relaxed in order to get craft beer flowing. My local brewery here in Brentwood Imperial Beer Project opened in April under some challenging circumstances yet they have been able to tap the local community and work within the rules and regulations to be a brewery slash restaurant thriving during these trying times. Buying local is absolutely awesome. It's fresh, just canned, and honestly tastes fabulous. Plus, it makes me feel as if I'm supporting the local economy instead of buying beer from other sources outside of my city or community. Since they're opening a national beer day on April 7th, I've been fortunate enough to sample every release they've had that equates to about 96 check-ins on untapped, over 33 different beers. Today it's their newest kettled sour. Blueberry Sunset, this is a 5.2% beer, is brewed with blueberries, peaches, and vanilla. This is their fourth sour and they've brewed Uh, One of the best so far in my opinion. Previously they brewed with raspberries and apricot, but the blueberries seem to make a kettle sour so damn good. So let's pop the top on this 16 ounce can. Blueberry sunset pours a bright purple color with a loose and weak head that quickly fades leaving no lacing on the glass. The smell? Oh, it's fruity with blueberries. Not quite sweet and jammy, but juicy with a hint of tartness and a slight vanilla aroma. Let's see how this kettled sour goes down. Mm, Now that is refreshing, very juicy over the palate, a big and bright blueberry flavor with a slight hint of peach, but it's the vanilla that decreases some of that sourness to make this a great offering. What's nice about these sours, if you can stomach them, they're light, low ABV and usually very easy drinking, no I'm not drunk quite yet. Yet another exciting beer from my local brewery who seems to be doing everything right. Sadly if you don't live in the bay area, you're never really going to get to experience this beer. Although I have sent a few cans in the UK, but that does bring me to this point. Craft beer is about where you live. That is what makes this hobby so awesome. In the US, no matter where you are, chances are you can find a craft brewery. Now California is lucky as we have over 900 breweries in the state. That's nearly twice as many as the next two states combined, Colorado and New York. Now, sure, there are some highly sought-after craft breweries I search out, topping the list is Treehouse Brewing out of Charlton, Mass. Thankfully, I have a connection that does all the legwork for me. I pay for the beer and the shipping. Treehouse is just one of many breweries I search out. In a trip three years ago, a buddy and I were delayed getting into Chicago, Illinois, where we rented a car, drove east to Indiana, but as luck would have it, we decided to stop off at Three Floyd Brewing in Munster, Indiana, the night before Dark Lord Day. The beer, the food, the experience, unforgettable. During that same trip, we just happened upon a small, what looked to be a home brewer, but it was the brewery that was in a two-story house. It's no wonder we drove by it twice, but Burnham Brewing out of Michigan, it's, uh, Michigan City, Indiana, excellent great brewery small but the flights we had were very good beer so craft is what you make of it now with our first beer a kettle sour poured i guess we must get in to some fpl discussion game week five was a shit show for the most part can't say i'm surprised because i don't remember a time we came through the international break unscathed it rarely happens and why the fuck are teams playing friendlies fucking stupid Is there really that much money to be made with no fans in the stands and players potentially exposed? Fuck it. Why should I even care? Honestly, I don't. I'm keeping it all in perspective. This is just a fantasy game that fills some downtime in my life. But the funny thing is, I said that about NFL fantasy football some, well, 38 years ago. And we still play with the same group of guys I grew up with. Just five weeks into the season, I think I've given up trying to figure out the why of the season. Because you know what? I've got no answers. And I'll get into a little of that in just a bit now, while there are some players we expected to be playing up to their potential, there's quite a few surprises, but we do see this every year. Sometimes they end up with the staying power through much of the season. Sheffield United Defense last year, John Listrom, both of them come to mind, but often they fell well short of expectations. Based on data set of only five game weeks, Timu Puki, oh, how he fell off of everyone's radar last season. I do feel the use of VAPM, or value added per million, has been beneficial for me even if it is weighted to those goalkeepers who picked up a penalty kick save or a budget defender who happened to return a goal and or assist early on this season. I've got some updated Game Week 5 numbers, and for the most part, it resembles what we're seeing with total points. Last year, it was the Reds dominating the top of the defensive chart, but Robertson is five points off the pace, as Tyrone Mings and Konza Ngoya set the pace at Villa. New boy Timothy Castagna and Aaron Questrol have been excellent as well while Denier, Luca Denier, also sneaks in just ahead of Rabo. So, some surprising names defensively in a season. That's seen a downturn in clean sheets, many teams struggling at the back end of the pitch. Now, that can't be said about the attacking stats, as goals in game week five were up over 30 goals from last season. The midfield, it's not really any surprise to see Son, Salamane, Fernandez, and Sterling all converting. Really, is that surprising? No, not at all. More surprising, though, has been the play of those who have started the season 7.5 million or less. James Rodriguez, Jack Grealish, Wilfred Zaha, Jorginho, and, of course, the household names of Bowen and McGinn. That's right. Who? Anyway, goals, well, more importantly, assists for Harry Kane who's 60 points is the best in the league. Back-to-back games in which Harry has grabbed two goals and one assist, giving him five goals and seven assists on the season. Surprise, but not really for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I can't remember if I mentioned it in a previous podcast or an article I wrote for the Sixth Floor, but I do recall mentioning that DLC could easily be a 10-10 forward, and this year he's really emerged as a must-own forward with Carlo Ancelotti at the helm and some changes in his game. He has been excellent each week of the season, but I think many non-Everton fans will agree. Not sure we expected to see him with the second-highest scoring forward in total points. while leading the league with seven goals this early in the season? Remember what I said about staying power? So I think we need to watch him closely, but he does look like the real deal this season and could be a true breakout year for the kid. Aside from those two forwards, I'm not really impressed with any of the other names. Not that they're not good. Wilson, Mappe, Ings, Bamford, and our two one-week wonders, Ollie Watkins and Timo Werner. I'm not high on either of them, although I probably ate a little bit of crow this weekend, not backing Werner. And honestly, if I were on him ahead of game week five, I probably would have transferred him out after all the no returns posted through four weeks. Because you know why? It seemed logical at the time. Sure, it was a good matchup. But then again, how do you give up a lead? And draw a 3 3 with Southampton. It's criminal that Kepa was in goal. And why we're jumping Kepa's shit, there are some crappy goalkeepers out there this season. Kepa, Pickford, Adrian. Whatever happened for Leeds, West Brom, Fulham, why we're at it, let's toss in David De Gea, Nick Pope, Aaron Ramsdale, and Ederson coming off of City's first clean sheet. That's 10 out of the 20 teams in the Premier League. None of these players are playing up to the ability that we as FPL managers expect. Outside of Martinez and the injured Allison, there's really been a lack of consistency between the posts through five weeks. This goes hand in hand with some very sloppy defensive play as we have watched on television. Now, time permitting, time permitting, I'll also check out some of the numbers from the top 1,000 managers in the game. I still feel these are the numbers to watch in order to have a successful season. But you do what you need to do in order to put together a good FPL season. Well, let's look back on Game Week 5, and to be honest with you, I don't even know where to begin as I look at my team. I've got issues and actually thought things were bosh after activating my wild card ahead of Game Week 3. Amazing what a few weeks can do to a team that looked good, well, at least on paper. Now, before the Merseyside derby was even over, I had already transferred to Charleston out of my squad, labeled him as a cunt, just to let King know I have come full circle on him, mate. What a stupid-ass challenge, just like Pickford pulling out his best Hugo Lloris impression from 2018, sending VVD to the training room for the next eight months. Richarlison out, VVD out, KDB out. I don't know how many more acronyms I can get out. I know Christmas is on the way, but this is way too much fucking red to continue the week with. So it's no surprise that DLC takes Richarlison's spot in my lineup. It's obvious that Van Dyke will need to be moved ahead of game week six. So it's most likely I will be taking at least a minus eight KDB I thought he could potentially start, regardless of what Pep said, and in hindsight, I was wrong for not hitting and getting in the hot sun. You like that little play on words? However, I banked my number one bench player, Charlie Taylor, for a clean sheet, which he picked up, minus that yellow card. But you know what? I'll take the five points. Not as good as uh, the hit with getting sun in, but that's okay. The best part of my season to date has been the constant that is most solid. Now, I put it out before the season started. I will be captaining Salah every week this season, excluding bye weeks. He's just too damn good not to give the armband to every week. It's 96 points from the Egyptian midfielder through five game weeks. He looks strong with three goals in his last two games and some excellent fixtures through the middle of January. James Rodriguez continues to shine for Everton, picking up another assist this week to give him three goals and three assists on the season. Six returns in five games. Couldn't really ask for more from a new player to the league who started at 7.5. Also this week, I gambled just a bit and brought in Jorginho. My thinking is with all that movement up front inside the box that Chelsea could see Jorginho hitting from the spot every couple of weeks. This week, it was a beautiful assist on the team of Werner's second goal, I believe it was. The punt on Phil Foden even worked out to some degree this week, as he was my Jack Grealish replacement for game week four and five. Well, not that it worked out all that well when Villa hit for seven against Liverpool, but it was good to see Foden return six points. The highlight of my team has been the play of Emiliano Martinez at Villa. I don't know if there have been any pundit, pod, or personality that have talked to Villa this season. Just two goals conceded. Through four games, and the defense is looking like Sheffield United of last year behind Dean Henderson. Another five saves, a clean sheet, and two bonus points, along with a save point. I have no idea what I am going to do with the Liverpool defense. If I were smart, I would move off of all of them. Currently, it's TAA, the most heavily owned, but rest assured, there will be many managers coming off him and VVD in favor of Andrew Robertson, or looking at the likes of Ben Chilwell, Luca Digne, and even, yes, Villa defenders. Might not be a bad idea to start to bank some some budget and build up that midfield or forward line. For now, though, I'm going to hold Robertson three attacking returns and a clean sheet for 25 points. Not great, but willing to accept that the Reds have been fucking terrible this season on defense. I know I was a staunch supporter of staying on these premiums, for a great reward, but if they continue to concede at this rate, I don't feel that value is going to be there. The Leeds-Wolves game, what a fucking terrible match. In terms of excitement, it was no more than exciting than that 15-pound wet noodle that was West Brom versus Burnley. Wolves not only luck into the clean sheet, thank you Nelson Semedo, but Raul Jimenez picks up the goal and two bonus points. This was a game dominated by Leeds in terms of possession, but Nuno's Portuguese Premier League club got it done. Another tough week though as I finish on 63 points with a weekly average at just 60 points. I pick up my second red arrow in a row making it three reds on the season as I drop 100k down to 602k. Now as odd as it sounds, my five-man defensive team picked up its Fourth green arrow since the start of the season. Talk about fucking amazing. This is like a real morale booster when I look at the current history. And my squad continues these these small increases each week. It's the second consecutive week this team has posted over 60 points. That's three out of the first five weeks for a five-man premium defensive team. Asked me if this team's going to have any success, I would have told you, yeah, I do think it would. Now, the reality of the situation this team has scored just 282 points, which is about 56.4 points per week, which isn't great, but that's just four points off, less than four points off that weekly average. 60 that I strive for. This team is also ranked at 1.5 million which again isn't all that impressive but has seen a team value rise to 101.3 since the start of the season. So this experimental team is just 26 points off my main team which sits at 308 points on the season carrying a 61.6 point per week average. So which team is more successful? I guess it's really in the eye of the beholder. Do you take the points in weekly average and the fact that you have 3 red arrows or do you take the confidence boost in seeing 4 green arrows but fewer points and a lower overall rank? But before we move into the second half of the show it's time to tap the mini fridge and our second review of the week. Now, there was a point where I was tooting around probably more beer in my car cooler. Yes, I drive around with a cooler full of beer in my Honda CRV. What? You don't never know when you might be delayed, or you might need to stop off and crack a cold one with some friends. Since I'm going to be promoting the FPO beer club in a few minutes, why not crack open area that came to me via. At Bitter and Stout, Mike Jesky uh, on Twitter last week. From Portland, Oregon, which is another craft beer hotspot. As I've said in the past, there are many spots around the U.S. Portland, Maine, Denver, Colorado, Burlington, Vermont, San Francisco, and San Diego, California. Just to name a few that I would include on in my top ten list. Oh yes, and if you're in the UK, you can't forget Leeds, but I can't recall if I sent Mike anything from California or not, but he was kind enough to offer me 20 cans from Great Notion out of Portland, Oregon, known for their tart ales or sours and their stouts. So I received jammy pants and berry pusher. Both of the fruited sour variety never had either of these cans, so it was a real joy to add two new cans in my untapped account. So today it's jammy pants, as I've been on a very big tart ale kick recently. Not sure why, because I, I still favor that nice big and bitter double IPA from the tried and true breweries, for example, Russian River out of uh, Santa Rosa, or even Pizza Port out of Carlsbad, California. But these sours usually come in a bit lower on the ABV, unless, of course, you're fortunate enough to get a can of Great Notions Triple Berry Shake, a whopping 10 fucking percent ABV. Now, this beer was juicy as fuck, pours as thick in blood, and you know what? Well deserving of its 4.49 untapped rating. But jammy pants, at least this version, is a 7% tart ale that comes in with a a bit higher ABV than some of the other sours I've recently had. But you really can't taste that alcohol in these juicy concoctions. Now this tart ale is brewed with blueberries and passion fruit, and owed to parents out there and their love of fruit bears. So without further ado, it's time to get our jammy pants on. This tart ale pours a mild reddish purple berry color with a loose, small and rocky pinkish colored head that quickly fades, leaving no lacing. The smell? Oh, it's berry sweetness, big across the nose with just a slight sour or tartness to it. Let's see how this goes down. Oh, damn. Now, I can't remember a time I've had a beer that has been this tasty, but... It's really berry sweet, refreshing over the palate, dominated by blueberry with a slight tropical and fruity kick from the passion fruit. That really does kick it up a notch. Slight tart bite to this sour or tart ale. This is a wonderful tasting and juicy tart ale. Scored at a 4.25 on untapped an and well-deserved, if you ask me that. There are some other great sour beers that I do favor, but this is an excellent beer. So, Bitter and Stout, Mike Jeske, thank you so much for delivering on the great notion sours. Cheers. Now let's get into something that I've really taken hold of, the FPO Beer Club, beer trading and shipping across the pond. It's quite often I talk very fondly of the lads in the FPO Beer Club. Not sure any of us expected to see just how close-knit this group would become. Some might say COVID has brought us closer as friends. Without an FPL game for three months to rally around earlier in the year, we kept ourselves entertained, sharing beer, weekend quizzes, and moments together that remain as memories. However, this year, more than any other in the past, has seen a hell of a lot of beer flying over to the UK. Mr. WP, Mr. Walker Porter, can be seen as Vandalay. Industries For those familiar with George Costanza on the sitcom Seinfeld, he specialized in import-export, and when it comes to beer, seemingly Mr. WP gets some of the best goddamn U.S. beer from America to the U.K., I don't know how he does it. It's got to be fucking magic. Now, take nothing away from UK craft. Dea Verdant, North, Vocation, Wander Beyond, Pressure Drop, Northern Monk, if I must. However, I think the beer group would agree the u s beer is for the most part a bit better when it comes to the craft variety now i've had some nice uk craft don't get me wrong i'm not going to slam all of them tambo mountain from pressure drop was a very good pale ale so was steady rolling man from Dea. a few excellent stouts in la katrina and maluska from Wonder Beyond, but nothing compares to the hazy double ipas Out of Monkish in Torrance, California, or the juice bombs from Treehouse Brewing in Charlton, Mass, Russian River, and Humble Sea. Some of the hottest exports to the UK right now. I've seriously shipped over 100 cans in the last month alone. Now, good US craft doesn't come cheap, yet I do see some of the New York brewers exporting to the UK. Breweries like Other Half, Finback, KCBC, Grim, Barrier, and Equilibrium. Good beer, all of them, but to send Alvarado Street, Humble Sea, Russian River, and yes, even some cans from my local beer brewery, Imperial Beer Project to the UK. Now, that for me is borderline epic. How Mr. WP is getting cans from Monkish, Treehouse, and Electric Brewing, which is a small city About 45-50 minutes north of San Diego, California, in Marietta, is fucking beyond me. I can't even get an order in because the brewery is always sold out. Now, maybe expensive craft beer isn't for everyone who enjoys good beer. Then again, maybe you don't know what good beer is. But from time to time, I do feel there is reason to try what the U.S. does have to offer. As I said earlier, California alone over 900 craft breweries, and that is a staggering number to comprehend. Just in the Bay Area alone, there are eight Northern California brewers that took home 11 medals from this year's 2020 Great American Beer Fest Award Show, including two silvers and a bronze from one of my favorites, Alvarado Street out of Salinas, California. Now, while I can't ship the beer everyone abroad who asks, You might check out Mr. uh, SWP or Securing Western Pints, SWP, get it, on Instagram. He's offering what he calls the Delightful Dozen, that is 12 fresh beers, for a three-week period delivered by Parcel Forest. It's really first-come, 1st serve, and open to the first 10 people who contact him. You will get first access to rare bottles and glasswork for a three-week period. Beers will be selected by Mr. SWP. No duplicates, although I would love to have some dupes of his offerings, to be honest with you. The offerings will be from breweries like Other Half, Treehouse, Humble Sea, and The Veil. So if you ever wanted to dabble in some excellent UF's craft, then might I suggest you hit up Mr. SWP on Instagram. You can also find him on Twitter at Mr. Spell that out, M-I-S-T-E-R, underscore swp and honestly no he did not put me up to this but as good of a guy as simon is i had to promote this for him because you know what it is all about the craft beer it is all about the good craft beer and when you're getting beer from these breweries like the vale humble sea treehouse for fuck's sake and other half i've just got to pimp it for him so get your beer on contact mr swp securing wester pints And get your order in today. Well, now that I got that second pint in me, I'm feeling no pain. Let's get on with the FPL talk. Everything I thought I knew about FPL seems to have been lost this season. And I still still cannot understand why. Much like goals being up and clean sheets being down, what is that common denominator? Discussed it momentarily on Twitter, I believe on Saturday, with Dan, FPL Chancellor, who said, there's a narrative this season's goal fest will regress, which is typical. I, I look for that. But not so sure. Look at the quality of goals already so far today. Attacking players with so much freedom without fan pressure. Does Werner score that first goal in a full stadium after four blanks? Now, my reply, I don't buy the fact that there is fan pressure. Or no fan pressure. These lads have been coddled, catered to for years, and they're now in the Premier League, touted by coaches, praised by fans for for as much as they get paid. These guys need to play with or without fans in the stands. Something about being professional and a boatload of money they receive each week, but it does seem that some players have remained in form since Project Restart, which I fucking hate saying, to finish the last nine weeks of last season in a flurry of activity. Could that form have ticked over to start the 2020-2021 season? I do think that's quite possible. While I can't prove it, attackers seem to be getting up to playing speed quicker than a defensive unit of three, five, maybe even six players who do need to come together and communicate in order to post. A clean sheet. However, I didn't expect to see the debacle that is Liverpool at the back posting just one clean sheet conceding a mind-boggling 13 goals. Something that didn't happen until game week 15 last season. Now, the injury to VVD is going to go along with Allison being sidelined, and that defense honestly appears to be in a lot of trouble. Conversely, who would have thought that Austin Villa, who conceded 67 goals last season, only team worse Norwich, who was relegated. Uh, would be the top defense giving up just two goals. Now granted, they've only played four games this season, but they have posted three clean sheets. We've seen what Dean Henderson meant to Sheffield United last year in goal as the Blades posted 13 clean sheets on that season, third best in the league. This year, it could be Villa right in the back of new keeper Emiliano Martinez as the villains have really looked tight defensively, this week shutting down a strong but injured Leicester team. But why are they thriving while Liverpool and City have struggled at the back? Sure, we need to account for injuries and COVID, but these two perennial favorites have conceded 21 combined goals through five weeks. Defensively, I think we throw away what we have seen in the past, as Casey at at FPL Tornado said in uh, a DM this week on Twitter. Every defender is in play, which makes it really exciting, and I completely agree. Take Tyrone Mings, for example, owned by just 6% across FPL and only 4.5 in the top 1K. He scored 30 points and leads all defenders. His teammate, Kanza Goyo is even lower owned, 5.5 across the game. 3.7 in the top 1,000. At 4.6 million, he scored 28 points. Is it time for FPL managers to wake up and take a team like Villa serious? How long did it take us to buy in on Sheffield United last season? As for goals, it's no surprise to see players like Sala, Sun, Kane, Vardy, and Ings getting off well in scoring boots. Yet it's been the introduction of, as I said, Carlo Ancelotti, who's improved DCL's game tenfold from last season as he along with son lead the league with seven goals now when i was deeply invested in fantasy and effort football i came across an article from a guy i worked with on a fantasy site called the fantasy football law of averages now the fantasy football law of averages says you need to recognize the fact that every player will have spikes in their fantasy production from week to week throughout the course of an entire season And barring injury, there will be a common average a player will usually hover around in terms of the amount of fantasy points he should score each week. If a player is failing to meet his average production, it stands to reason that his projection was realistic in the first place. The player will have weeks where he exceeds his average to even out that discrepancy. But this also applies in reverse to players who are exceeding their averages they'll have to have weeks where they fall short of their projected average. It's hardly an extreme idea, and if you recognize it, it can help you make sure you're smart in your fantasy football management skills. Now, this isn't some hidden key to the game. It's a piece of information that is applicable to almost any fantasy game you favor. I can take that information, and using data and key metrics should be able to make some good transfers to add points to my weekly average. You don't have to subscribe to the Theory of VAPM, XG, XA, or any metric to help you make decisions, but it could help to clear out uh, the players who are performing above or below that expected average. In the case of VAPM, that baseline figure still stands at 0.35 VAPM. So you know I backed this VAPM key metric, and it's early in the season, but there are many players who are currently over that baseline of 0.35. But as the season continues, it'll be more valuable to see which players have remained consistent, but more importantly, which players are falling. Early on, one good performance can really improve a player's VAPM, but those jumps aren't as evident when the season ramps up. Starting game week six, I will present a weekly segment on VAPM and players I see as important to a starting 11. Sometimes these players will be evident, for example, KDB or Jamie Vardy in the past. If you are interested in VAPM, you can see the entire list as I have it updated on sixthgoal.com. The minimums, of course, 180 minutes played, and four points must be met to be included on this list. This week, the list is topped by Wolves' four million defender Max Kilman on the back of just 180 minutes played and a clean sheet in game week five. Is he our new four million dollar or four million pound darling? Not sure I would bank on that quite yet. Ben Chilwell is still ranked very high on the heels of his second assist this week. And uh, 21 points. While Konza N'Goya and Tyrone Mings also gain a little bit of traction because of their price and league-leading third clean sheet of the season. But with all the high-priced talent at Chelsea, it's the 5.2 million Jorginho who picked up his second assist. Now on 32 points, this top midfielder based on VAPM. Is it really any surprise to see Martinez is still the top goalkeeper on the list? The clean sheets, save points, and bonus, along with the PK save, have vaulted him into Dean Henderson's status of last season. No reason Villa couldn't pick up 13 clean sheets like the Blaze did last year. Finally, there is Harry Kane playing very well. At $10.7 million, the Spurs forward has been an assist machine. As I said, seven assists on the season to go with two braces in the last two games, giving him five goals. So if you are interested in key metrics or just want to read up on VAPM, then I suggest you check out the data that I have collected and updated on the 6 Sixth floor, sorry, sixgold.com. Yes, maybe I will have that third beer because you know what? That is just what I need. But consider this more information to help money those weekly transfers and wild card decisions. Our final segment of the show, the top 1K ownership. As Gabe, Casey, and I talked about last week, some managers do not favor ownership numbers. For me, I continue to promote the top 1K because these scores really seem to move that weekly average. When I see my weekly score over the weekly average, but under that of the top 1K, chances are pretty good that I'm going to end up with a red arrow. Then again, there is a lot to say about where you sit in the overall rank. So Hunmin son Sun took a huge jump this week, which wasn't surprising with 64.8% of ownership, while Harry Kane made gains to 79%. But it's still Mo saw the most owned player in the top one, K at a whopping 84.1%. More surprising though, I think, is that Dominic Calvert-Lewin is only owned by 50%. And that's just not .3 less than all FPL. If there's ever been one con- uh, constant this season, it has been the scoring prowess of DCL at Everton. For FPL managers, are jumping on Jack Grealish and James uh, James. James Rodriguez as well, but saw increases. Grealish now up to 32 32- 32.3% owned. Yeah, I know, I've had two beers. Give me a fucking break here. And Ham is at 67.3. There are some numbers that are appearing template forming, but it's not uncommon to see a, a midfield four that consists of Grealish, Rodriguez, Son, and Salah in the FPL game. The top 1K now has a 6.5% ownership of those four players, while all of FPL is just at 3.1%. Yet thirty-three point three percent of the top one K have all but Grealish on their teams. So it just might be a matter of time before Martinez catches Matt Ryan, owned by twenty-three point one of the top one K. Martinez is gaining ground slowly now at seventeen point four. Just over thirty-seven percent of the top one K have played their wild card. But I would guess more are moving to Martinez if his price continues to climb. Then I do believe some would opt to stay at the 4.5. Matt Ryan. A strange week here in FPL Bizarre World. Not disappointed where both my teams are. Sure, there could have been some different decisions to make, which would have led to where I currently am at, but looking ahead, I've got confidence in how both of my teams are playing. So it's time to look ahead to what the next three weeks will bring, but remember, we need to keep on the festive period. It'll be here before you know it, already planning on rolling an FT out of the break to set myself up for game week 12 when it gets real and fixtures come very quickly. As I mentioned in that last segment, there are some template forming numbers. It might be wise to check out those players and see if you own them. It's all about making those small weekly gains and climbing in the OR. Now, I know that's easier said than done, but there are a core group of players making that happen right now. DCL, Kane, Sun, Solid, Grealish, Rodriguez, Martinez. I do feel there needs to be some combination of that group in your starting eleven. That's it for episode sixty-four. Thanks for listening. All episodes of Pitch and Pint are available on sixgoal.com. You can also find them on SoundCloud and Apple with all the other quality podcasts out there. Hopefully you will continue to support the show because I thank you for your support. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends. If you don't, well, you know what? Fuck it. Tell me. Follow me on Twitter at Six Gold, providing FPL opinions as well as craft beer content posted using the hashtag 30 Second Beer Review for all my weekly content. Head over to SixGold.com as I always have something to say. Thanks for listening to the Pitch and Pine Podcast. FPL from Inside the six.